Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, August 4th. I'm Robert Mays. A little bit later on the show today, Lindsey Jones is going to be joining us. We're going to talk about the people in the NFL that we feel have the most to lose and gain in 2022. So good to talk to Lindsay again. We actually got to sit down in person at her house outside of Denver. Really enjoyed that conversation. Really excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to talk about the latest in the Deshaun Watson case. Before we started recording today, news came down that the league has appealed the six-game suspension that Judge Sue L. Robinson handed down earlier this week. According to multiple sources, the NFL is asking for an indefinite suspension with potential reinstatement after one year. And depending on the length of that suspension, there's also some sort of monetary fine and counseling potentially involved. Following the initial ruling on Monday, this always felt like a possibility. The league made it well known in the weeks leading up to Robinson's decision that it wanted a suspension of at least the entire season. In Robinson's report that accompanied the ruling on Monday, she said that Watson's behavior was predatory and egregious and might deserve a harsher punishment than the one she was able to give based on the language of the league's own policy and the precedent set in previous cases. And the way that I read that presentation of the ruling, it seemed like it left the door open for the league to step in and potentially dole out a harsher punishment, the sort of punishment it wanted this entire time, without undercutting Robinson or that third-party process that they had put in place in the new CBA. So like we discussed on Monday's show with Jenny Varentis, it certainly felt like the league could see a six-game suspension and lost salary totaling about 350 grand all in as too lenient of a punishment based on everything we know. Despite what the Brown statement has said earlier this week, Watson has shown no remorse whatsoever during this process. And it seems like that lack of contrition and the unprecedented nature of this case has motivated the league to step in, which they're empowered to do based on the terms that they negotiated in the CBA. So the NFLPA now has until the end of the day on Friday to respond, and it's possible that certain steps from here could result in a lawsuit, the process dragging out over the next few months, and Watson even seeing the field early in the season. We're going to save any conversation for that until later in the week after we get a response from the PA. For now, this is an ongoing story, and if you'd like to learn more about what's happening in the process, I'd encourage you to head over to The Athletic or listen to our Browns podcast, Civilized Barking, where Zach Jackson has more analysis on the latest news. Also, one more note before we get to Lindsay. We recorded with her on Tuesday, and that was before the news about the Dolphins' tampering punishment had been announced, and they lost their 2023 first-round pick. So when you're listening to the segment about Tua and the Dolphins owning two first-round picks next year, just keep that in mind. With that, let's get to our conversation with Lindsay Jones. I am very happy to say that I am sitting right next to an old friend, the Ringers, which makes me so happy or so sad to say, 
Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I am great. Welcome to my house. I am at your house. We are just outside of Denver, Colorado, about 15 minutes from the Broncos facility. We're sitting on your front porch. It's tranquil and idyllic and beautiful and a great way to start my morning. Well, it's lovely to have you here. You got to meet um, internet superstar Lena yes. this morning Yes. Uh, before we started podcasting And here. the dogs. It was a great morning. Yeah, we... Fair warning for our fair listeners here. We will probably have some dog interruptions <laughs> at some point, but um, I'm just, yeah, it's it's lovely to see you and to do this and uh, can't wait. I'm really excited about it. We're going to do a show today that we did last year, and I think this is a good time of the year to do it. We're going to talk about the people in the NFL as we really get going with training camp here that have the most at stake in the NFL, the most to gain, the most to lose. Talk about some coaches, some players, some executives, people all across the board. I want you to start us off. Who is the first person that came to mind when you were doing this exercise? At the very top of my list is Kyle Shanahan. It's a great one. It's not one that I would think of, but it's a really good one. And I think he can fall kind of into both categories where we were talking before the show as we were planning, um, kind of framing it as people who have either the most to lose or the most to gain. Yeah. And I think he very, very squarely falls into both of those buckets when we're looking at um, what the stories of the season are going to be. I mean, I think Trey Lance, that it's not even an experiment now because it is it is just the plan. It's who they are. So there is so much on the line for Kyle Shanahan here because this was his move. I mean, this massive move that they made last year, you know, they were already a good team. They were a couple plays away from potentially going to the Super Bowl last year, which is just wild to think about when you kind of go back through all of the the sequence of events that happened last, uh, I guess, January, February, where however exactly that NFC Championship game played out. Um, But, you know, none of us know. And I listened to your show with Bill Barnwell last week, and you guys talked a lot about Trey Lance and the the various outcomes, you know, all of the things from, you know, him being awesome to him being terrible or getting hurt and not having a backup plan. Just that's what's so interesting about this is that none of us really know. But Kyle Shanahan has staked so much of his professional life now on this working out. And this is a year where it's not just a quarterback change in San Francisco. And I'm guessing this is something that you've probably looked into and talked about. We talked about it with Matt. It it was wild being there yesterday. It's just massive amounts of change all at once. Every offensive position coach is different. It's Every single one. Um, And there's some like very interesting moves that were there too. I mean, the the thing about Kyle Shanahan um, and and his father before is that They've had so much consistency on their staff. Gary Kubiak was his offensive coordinator for 15 years. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and some of these guys, Bobby Turner has been a member of the Shanahan coaching family forever. He's not there. Wes Welker had been, you know, around the Shanahans for a really long time. And just you're, you're pulling all of these kind of individual pieces out and you're bringing in new, new guys who do have a lot of Shanahan connections. You're bringing in Brian Greasy, who's never coached before, but obviously has really deep, long connections to both Kyle and especially to Mike Shanahan. You're bringing in Anthony Lynn, who played for Mike Shanahan here in Denver back in the kind of the Super Bowl era of, you know, of the 90s. Um, but they're all new to Kyle Shanahan's staff. So there is so much riding on this working. And I don't think this is like 
they have to go to the playoffs, win a Super Bowl, NFC Championship caliber, like kind of that level that has to happen this year. But this is something that has to be trending in the right direction. And we have to see that that this was the right call, that Trey Lance was the right guy. And that, you know, Kyle Shanahan with all of these moving pieces can kind of elevate himself from where he's at right now, which is, I think the consensus is he's one of the very best play callers and scheme designers in the NFL. And if he can turn Trey Lance quickly within a year or two into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I think he'll be, he'll move into that stratosphere as one of the best overall coaches, um, you know, leaders, player development, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and if it doesn't work, I don't really know where the Niners go because they've just pushed everything in this on, is this, it. on this working. This is their big move. I had a conversation with Kyle Juszczyk yesterday, and we were talking about just the lines of communication as it relates to the offense there. He and I chatted a couple of years ago about this, how early in the week, Kyle really wasn't involved in a lot of the install meetings. You know, some offensive head coaches delineate a lot of that stuff. Some of them take it on themselves. Andy Reid, famously now in Kansas City, handles a lot of that himself. And the Mikes, McDaniel and LaFleur, would do a lot of that early in the week, and Kyle would kind of come in a little bit later on. And the setup is the same now with Chris Forster as the run game coordinator, who's their offensive line coach, and Bobby Slowick, who's now their passing game coordinator. So the setup is similar. But one of the things he said to me that I thought was really interesting is that Juszczyk said that with McDaniel, it was always an open dialogue, open line of communication. He could go to him with ideas really whenever. And that's something they're going to have to hone. But the tone of what it's like in the building is similar is very very similar just kind of the way that they communicate with each other all of that kind of stuff so i think that they're trying to foster a similar feeling in the ways that even if there's a lot of staff turnover the way that we approach this is similar so we'll see how that works out i mean the mark of a really successful franchise is can you endure this kind of stuff and if you go about four and a half hours south on i-5 you'll get to los angeles where they've done a fantastic job of enduring this sort of turnover. And now, because the league is coming for this type of offense, we've seen that type of turnover in San Francisco, and we're seeing it in Green Bay. And now it remains to be seen, can those teams handle it as well as Sean McVay has in L.A.? And it's a big question. And I'm really curious. um, I listened to your discussion with Jordan last week um, about this. It was really, really, really interesting. She's just um, so plugged in there and just has a, such a really smart view on looking at football and team building and all that stuff. And one of the things that has struck me about Sean McVay, and I put this in when we when our, our 40 under 40 earlier this summer, um, is that he does have this massive turnover, but he tends to look kind of in interesting places to totally. build his staff. He wants like it's almost purposeful that he wants to bring in new ideas and people that were not necessarily part of his tree or the tree where he started from Kyle Shanahan isn't doing that he well, Brian Greasy much, is that though right but yeah but he's like he very much is bringing in people that he's like very familiar with that's fair that's um, fair and that are like kind of very much already in his circle um you know Brian Greasy is a really interesting and unorthodox choice I have a lot of thoughts there that I think we could get into at another time um you know just that you know, he's never coached before and who knows that might be exactly what Trey Lance needs it could not be. We have no idea. Um, but even like, you know, Bobby Slowick, Bob Slowick was a longtime Mike Shanahan assistant. So there's almost no spot on the Kyle Shanahan coaching roster where there's just like some out of left field, like ever, almost everybody has some sort of direct connection. And, you know, that tells me a lot about Kyle Shanahan and like trust and loyalty and like who he feels comfortable with. 
Um, but I do wonder if at some point he's going to need to do what Sean McVay is doing and bring an influx of just like new ideas into the room. Yeah, I think it's a totally fair point. All right. I'm lumping my first two together here. I'm cheating a little bit. I'm going with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. I think they're in really similar positions. You look at the big wide receiver trades that both of those teams made. Also not an accident. Both of their teams have two first-round picks next year. They are positioned, if necessary, to go find a new quarterback. But these guys are also positioned on teams that I think have pretty decent supporting casts, especially in Philadelphia. I think that's a complete offensive roster top to bottom. In Miami, they're a lot better than they were a year ago. This is the time. This is it. You you have to show your decision makers in both of those places that you're worth committing to moving forward, that you deserve at least one more year to show that you let me play this out. Like I, I have, I will show you enough for the end of the 2022 season that justifies you bringing me back as your unquestioned starter next year. Because if either of these guys fall short of whatever expectations the team has kind of heaped on them by giving them all this help, I don't think either franchise would think twice about looking for a quarterback upgrade. With in Miami, they're not committed to him. Mike McDaniel has no ties to Tua, even if Chris Greer is still there. And in Philadelphia, I think that there's a reason Howie Roseman has given himself these trap doors consistently as it relates to assets and things and the outlook moving forward. So when you look at those two situations, it's so interesting because those two guys are just always going to be tied together. Yeah. Because of Alabama and just everything. Yeah, that happens it's so true. And even the draft year. I mean, it. so many different things there. So yeah, they, they're, they're always going to be linked. But when you look at those two situations, and I actually have, um, I want to get into Miami a little bit more um, with, with one of my choices here moving forward. But which of these two guys do you think is better set up to succeed right now in terms of the offense that's around them, the skill position players, the coaching staff? If, if you had to pick one of those guys to say is most likely or you feel most confident that is going to be the starting quarterback for his team in 2023. So those, those are two different questions. I think that Jalen Hurts is set up better. And it's for this reason, the offensive line is there are no questions about it. Even with Toronto Armstead there and Connor Williams and some of the shuffling, there are huge question marks on Miami's offensive line and some projections associated with that. That's not happening with the Eagles offensive line. They are rock solid. And with Mike McDaniel, even if we're optimistic about him, it's still a projection. Yeah. We have no idea. He's never called plays before. No. And, and when you have these guys that come from situations with very autonomous offensive head coaches where those are the guys really driving the ship, you never really know how it's going to work out. So I think that we've seen it a little bit more with Philadelphia, even if I do think that the best version of the Dolphins looks pretty darn good. I also think that it's again, it's a when you look back at investment, the Dolphins spent a top five pick on Tua. The Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. Yeah. That stuff tends to linger. So I think that Jalen Hurts is in a better situation, even if I think there's a better chance Tua is the starting quarterback for the yeah. Dolphins next year, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, the Tua being the first round pick, for some reason, it just like has it doesn't seem to have stuck on him as much as some of the other guys. I think he I think is going to get longer time, but like ev- literally since the moment he arrived, because he arrived, I think, with the injury, and we didn't really know exactly what his timeline was going to look like, and there was some good Ryan Fitzpat- Fitzmagic, Fitzpatrick magic. It was a we- it was that. a weird start it, to his career. There's you know, no other kept way. Pulling to- him, it was just that relief pitcher type of setup that he's just never seemed to have gotten like the full first round pick 
yeah. treatment there. Um, there just have always been these doubts about like if he can do it. Um, so I'm I'm super curious. So do, should we just lead into the guy that I have next? Let on it my rip. List? Let's go. All right, let's just go right into Miami. Um, I'm putting Tyreek Hill there. I think it's fair. <laughs> I was thinking about this in the car when you mentioned that you were going to have him, and obviously he's already gotten paid, so yeah. that like he's gotten that. But I think in terms of reputation. Yes. There is a lot to be gain or loss and with he, Tyreek Hill. I think he's a guy who very clearly cares about the reputation part of it. He's in the media now, man. He is putting himself out there to 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 be there. I mean, this has been the defining story of this past year, and certainly this offseason has been the receiver market, um, the explosion of that market, and then kind of a little bit of maybe not reshuffling, but just this very clear definition of the top tier of wide receivers. Yes. Um, not necessarily. The pecking order, I think, is up for debate right now. Yeah. It, it's definitely in flux, and I think this season will go a long way in determining that. Yeah, and I mean, because they're all so different. Every, you know, A.J. Brown is such a different player than Tyreek Hill, who's a different player than Debo Samuel, the most recent guy who got paid. You know, they're all so different, but they all are so integral to what their teams do. And, you know, Tyreek has really put himself out there by, you know, when the contracts talks broke down very quickly in Kansas City. I mean, that was one of the wildest days of what was a really weird offseason where it went from, you know, Tyreek Hill contract negotiations in Kansas City to has requested a trade, permission to seek trade, to he's gone within like 12 yeah, hours. it happened fast. I mean, it was just bonkers. And he, you know, he very much put himself out there that like he's won a Super Bowl. He's wanted to be paid as the top or one of the very top wide receivers in the league. And I think he wants to do it without Patrick Mahomes. And the fact that he's out there, <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if he's like fully thought out this process of like what he says about Patrick Mahomes. Not sure that he all, has all of that sort of stuff. But like, he was not a guy that we heard a ton from in Kansas city for a lot of reasons. The chiefs did um, a pretty good job of insulating him and he wasn't super forward facing. Um, and now he is he has put himself out there to say, I'm going to be the guy I've gotten paid. Um, I'm going to be on a podcast. I'm going to do media now. Um, and we'll see. I mean, they, the, the Dolphins have made such a huge investment for him. And I, I, I'm very fascinated. I didn't put any of the Chiefs here on my list. I'm very just curious about what their offense and stuff is going to look like. But I just wonder, you know, maybe more so than any of those other trades, it's going to be like, who is better off moving forward? Can Tyreek be a number one? But not I, I, he's going to be a number one receiver, but like in that very very elite tier of receivers, when he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. And then on the flip side is, what do the Chiefs do without this very unique one of one? Same one as the Packers, right? It's the same yeah. exact situation where you're trying to figure out and extricate the credit for why these guys have been really really good yeah. over the last four or five years. How much of it is Aaron Rodgers? How much of it is Devontae Adams being the best receiver in the league? And the same goes for Kansas City. Like, if you just drop Tyreek Hill into a different situation, what does he look like? Is he still one of the most influential players in football? Like, when he's on the field, what he does to defenses, there's really no one like him based on the structure in Kansas City. Is the same thing true in Miami? And we have no idea. So I think that What's at stake for him and what is to be gained or lost is his standing and his reputation for how we talk about him compared to his peers at the position and his peers on offense, right? I mean, you could have made an argument over the last four or five years, I think, that Tyreek Hill was as impactful of an offensive player 
that was a non-quarterback as maybe any in the league. Is that still going to be true with two? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still think when defensive coordinators are planning, you know, are, are looking, you know, Tyreek Hill is at the very top of the list, and it's a pre- pretty short list, honestly. I think of players who make defensive coordinators go, "Oh shit." Yeah, yeah, like, and because, I think that's still true, and, and and that is going to be true. But is it going to be as true when you have a quarterback when you have Tua instead of? Patrick Mahomes. I still think it'll be true, but I just I'm just really curious how that entire thing is going to work in Miami. The collection of receivers that they put together. I mean, it's like all speed. Like, yeah, it's insane. Um, and then just how Tyreek Hill is kind of going to do in this new environment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. My next one here, again, I'm cheating. I'm going to list multiple different people. I'm going with kind of the next wave of potential head coaches in the NFL. And we talked about Raheem Morris and D'Amico Ryans last week when I talked with Nate and Deontay. They're right at the top for me. Raheem Morris, you talk to everybody there. I think you just get the feeling from him. He's ready to be a head coach again. And I think he's in a really good position to try to make that happen. You look at how McVay's staff has been picked over over the last few years even you talk to him, he feels like a head coach. He's been in that role before, but he was extremely young. All of the different varied backgrounds that he has and the ways that he's kind of had to look at the league as an offensive coach, as a defensive coach, he feels like somebody that's going to do well in the room if given him, if given the opportunities. D'Amico Ryans is the same way. Kyle Shanahan was talking about him yesterday and just saying that he trusts him as much as any coach he's ever worked with. And the reason, the ways that D'Amico Ryans makes Kyle a better coach is that he doesn't have to worry about D'Amico Ryans. It's just, that's the defense. Yeah. He handles it. And I have complicit trust in his ability to take care of all of that. Yeah. And so I think that he's going to be one of those next guys. On offense, we have a big question with Byron Lefwich. Yeah. Bruce Arians is gone now. All of those questions about, all right, how much is Bruce and how much is Byron and who deserves credit for the way the offense looks and the way that it's structured. Stuff that I think is pretty unfair if you listen to Bruce Arians. He's essentially said Byron ran the offense. But now you remove that. There's He has total purview over the entire offensive approach, scheme, execution, everything as it relates to that team. Maybe you can make the Tom Brady argument, but I do think you remove one layer. (laughs) You remove one layer of complication in terms of who's responsible for that. And the other guy that I had in this list, somebody that I had heard did extremely well when he interviewed with the Broncos, but maybe was a year away, was Brian Callahan in Cincinnati. Now, you have those young offensive coordinators attached to top five-ish quarterbacks, somebody that's certainly on the rise, a franchise that's heading on the right trajectory. Is he somebody that, again, I think will do very well in the rooms and in those conversations that potentially gets a look after the season ends? So that kind of group of those 
you know, 30 ish, early 40s coordinators that are on these teams that we think are going to be really good. Those jobs could be waiting for them if things go well. Well, go back the end of June. I published the uh, 40 under 40 at The Athletic. A bunch of those guys were on that list. Not Raheem Morris. He was too old. Um, but D'Amico Ryans, Brian Callahan um, were both on that list. Um, Byron Leftwich, too old. But we they're about like 42, right? Yes, yeah, but they're in, that, like, yeah. in that range. Yeah, they're like my peers. They're my um, elder millennial, uh, geriatric millennials, whatever we're calling ourselves these days. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I say I pull back even a little bit, maybe make it a little bit bigger. I think when we're looking at the oh, next he wave. He's 45. He does not seem like it. He's very energetic. Yes. He's he an really, energetic he very 45. Much is. <laughs> Look, I'm not that far away from 45. I hope I'll have some sort of energy like that in a couple of years. Um, but just, I guess to maybe even pull it bigger and we're talking about the next wave and who are going to be the next head coaches in this league. The NFL owners in this league has a lot at stake this year too. Yeah. Um, the Brian Flores lawsuit is still ongoing. He is trying to keep that um, in court and not in arbitration. Um, and a lot of these guys that we've talked about are overqualified to be head coaches. Raheem Morris especially is overqualified to be a head coach in this league. So, um, you know, I hope that the the league, the decision makers are paying attention to the right generation of of coaches when they're figuring out who the next um, the next head coaches are going to be. A corollary on this. I think those are the guys that have a chance to take a step forward there. I think there are a couple coordinators potentially have a chance to take a step back. If it doesn't go well for Greg Roman this year, guys like yeah. that in Baltimore, what happens? Those and, coordinators for their for whom there are some questions heading yeah, into and the like, season. And like John Harbaugh has already been kind of making changes to the like lower levels of his offensive staff. I think preparing for at some point we might have to make a change there. He's been bringing in new quarterbacks coaches and assistant quarterbacks coaches and you know people who are very tailored for Lamar and want. They're not Lamar afraid to, to make a change either. You know, no, they, I mean, look at what happened have... on defense. Exactly. I mean, they have a new defensive coordinator this year. They they're not afraid to say, you know what, it's pivot time. They've done it a bunch of different times under him, and there's a chance that they get to the end of the season and just say, you know what, this isn't working. We need to try something else if we're going to get the most out of this guy. I also think Lamar could be on this list, but I just think he's going to get paid. I think he's getting paid no matter what. Yeah, so that's why it, it, I just didn't want to throw him on here just because I don't think there's a lot to lose for him in this moment. Yeah, no. I mean, I think I think he is, just has a ton to gain. I mean, if if Baltimore has a bad season, I don't think it's going to be because Lamar falls off a cliff. It's I agree. It's going to be because similar to last year where everybody got hurt or there's some sort of bad luck situation. Um, all right. Should we move to my next? Let's do it. I'm going to do a Debbie Downer here. So you, we've already talked about a couple of the young quarterbacks that have a lot to prove. Um, I'm going to go with a quarterback who's kind of in a last chance scenario. Um, and that's Carson Wentz. He's a guy who was to me, I mean, he's been like the, the forgotten name in the 2022 quarterback carousel and shuffle. I still do not understand why Washington raced to trade for him. When they did, given kind of all the other quarterback moves that happened to the, the, the rest of the year um, or the rest of the offseason. Um, but to me, I mean, he feels like a guy that like this is it. Like this is his last chance to be a starting quarterback in this league. And like, sure, he's probably a guy who could do the Mitchell Trubisky rehab is he going to want to do that scenario? But I don't know. And I'm, I'm also not sure where he's a guy whose reputation is bad right now. Yes. Where in terms of like a leader, you know, a leader and likability and all that sort of stuff. So if this doesn't work in Washington, which is somewhat of a floundering franchise right now, I just don't know where he would go from here. It's a really good one. It's a really good one. I have some, I have one that I think is pretty similar in that 
the guy who might have his last chance and it kind of could define what he is moving forward. It's Baker Mayfield. Yeah. It's a really oh, yeah. similar spot where these guys are tarnished assets at this point. This may be their last chance to prove that, all right, I'm a starter. Like I deserve to be a starter somewhere. In Washington, it feels like if it goes well with Carson Wentz, he'll have a chance to maintain that job moving forward. With Baker, he's almost auditioning for his next job yeah. as much as anything because I don't think he'll ever be someone who's in demand again, but I think Baker has a chance to show by the end of this season, listen, you need a stopgap quarterback. You need somebody to be somebody with a, a pulse for the next year as you figure out what you're trying to do, similar to what Carolina has. I, I think that's exactly the position that Baker's in right now. So with Carson Wentz, I think it's saving who he is in the minds of the league. Yeah. But if it goes well, I think he'll be the starter in Washington for multiple years. With Baker, it's just can I salvage any sort of future I have as a starter in the NFL? So I'll I'll, I'll bring back the the Tua and Jalen Hurts type of question. Which guy do you have more confidence in in succeeding in that quest? I really don't know. I I kind of think Baker I think Baker might be a better NFL quarterback right now than Carson Wentz. I know the stats on Carson Wentz were good last year. It was an absolute disaster. I, based on the reviews from their previous staffs, I feel better about Baker. I don't think the Browns were hell-bent on, we have to get rid of Baker Mayfield. Like this, this is we have to do this. We have to move on. This isn't working anymore. I think that they understood on a football level that Deshaun Watson presented them a level of quarterback that they couldn't get otherwise. With the Colts, they were willing to move on from Carson Wentz with absolutely no contingency plan whatsoever. Yeah. The answer for them... They, the, ki they kicked him out. I mean, and they the kicked him while he was down. The ideal answer for them at quarterback was not Carson Wentz. Yeah. And I think that that is pretty telling. So based on those reviews from people at both of those organizations and also just the way that Carson Wentz played at times last year, I think I'd rather have Baker Mayfield. And I do think that the Carolina situation isn't that bad. They have decent weapons there. You know, Their offensive line is potentially hugely improved. And we'll see what happens with Ben McAdoo, but I do think that it's not as bad of a circumstance for Baker and Carolina as it might seem. All right. Before we move on to, like, I guess our last ones, are there any other quarterbacks that are like... Yes. Okay. You've got another I, I have two very okay. quickly. Very quickly. And I wasn't going to include them in my original list, but I do think they matter. And it's think for a similar reason. Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr yeah. were both given deals that are essentially a franchise tag. It's like, all right, we're going to kick the can down the road for one more year in order to evaluate what we have here. Both of them have new offensive-centric coaching staffs that I think we're pretty excited about, right? Like, I'm excited to see what Kevin O'Connell does. In I think I'm curious. I'm not sure if excited. I'm curious. That's totally fine. I, I think Minnesota can be a pretty good offense with a couple tweaks. And we're going to talk a lot more about them. As we move forward here in camp, I, I had a good visit there before camp started with a couple of their coaches, and they had a lot of interesting things to say about how they're going to use those guys. Can Kirk Cousins show, hey, you know what, I'm never going to be that top five guy, but I can be the eighth best quarterback in the league. Can he be a diet version of what Matthew Stafford got this year? I, I think that's going to be really something to watch. And if he is, does he get more time in Minnesota? And with Derek Carr, can he show that 
I'm the guy I was last year for the rest of my career. I'm a top 10-ish quarterback. You're not going to do better than me if you move on. So does Josh McDaniels after a year with Derek Carr say, you know what? This is worth committing to because that's the window. After this year, if they want out, there's a trap door that they can climb out of. So can both of those guys show I'm not just a short-term solution. I am worth being the guy here for the next several years. Well, I'm glad that um, we were able to get the car the car continuum yeah, into, had to. Uh, into a podcast had to. here together. Um, I, I very much agree um, on Derek Carr and um, did a podcast about that last week, which was kind of why I didn't, didn't want to bring him up there too much. But I am very, very interested. And mostly, I mean, the, the other layer with Derek Carr for me is that you know, the AFC West is just so interesting when you yeah. look at all of the quarterbacks that are in that division and, um, you know, where does he fall into that? And can he, if, if he has a career year, can he push himself into second or third in the conversation in the, uh, the AFC West quarterbacks? I don't know if he's going to overtake Justin Herbert in uh, in our hearts and our minds. And our, uh, oh, I, I think he's going to be his best goal here is to be the third best quarterback in his own division. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> as long as he can cement himself as the answer for the Raiders and a guy that Josh McDaniel says, you know what? This is worth it. I, th- this version of who we can be is something that I want to commit to. That's a huge win for Derek Carr. So I almost put Josh McDaniels on this list because, you know, it's been a long time since he was the head coach. And there's been a lot that has happened since his failed his failed tenure in Denver and then what happened in Indianapolis and, you know, getting the second chance to separate from um, – from Bill Belichick. A lot of guys don't get that. Yeah. You know, you don't get that second head coaching opportunity. Um, but so instead of Josh McDaniels, um, I have two other uh, assistant coaches who I'm going to put on my at stake list. Um, and that's Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who are in one of the weirdest coaching situations than I that I can remember. Um, one of them, I think Matt Patricia is going to be calling plays in New England. Joe Judge is also going to be heavily involved in that offense. And I don't know if any of if either of them have like I'm just, you know, I'm figuring out that what the stakes are. It's just such a weird situation where you come back, you were failed head coaches, um, for a lot of reasons. It didn't work schematically, personality wise, and now all of a sudden you're doing something that you've never done before. Um, Matt Patricia as offensive coordinator is just wild. And I think there's a lot at stake for Bill Belichick for making this move. I, there's just a lot at stake for Matt Patricia of like reestablishing himself as or like reinventing himself as a coach um, and going to be a play caller. I mean, it's just so it's wild. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And they've done some of this stuff before. Remember, there were years over the last five or six years even when they were going to Super Bowls where they didn't have a named defensive coordinator. Even last year, I don't think they had it. Technically, had a defensive. They coordinator. still do, and they don't this year by name. But like, there's always the through line of like, this is Belichick's defense. Of course, that's easier um, to pin down. Yeah, it's but Matt Patricia. I mean, it's just it's so bizarre. So. I guess what's at stake is that if it goes well, does he reinvent himself as yeah. an offensive coach? I mean, that's ultimately if that's what's on the line, then that's pretty huge. If he can kind of garner that reputation for himself, look, I want to stick with coaches. And this is somebody who I think was on both of our lists. I mean, Mike McCarthy. Yeah. It, the first pre- the, one of the first questions he got when camp opened, one of the first ones was about his job security. They went to the playoffs last year. Like that's amazing to me. And, and he yeah. was pissed, and I understand why. Um, but he should be surprised. He should I mean, not be surprised. He's, he's had now two full years in Dallas. Um, he. I'm sure can read the news and see that Sean Payton is out there lurking and ready to take a head coaching job. I'm sure he knows the history that uh, Sean Payton has been kind of Jerry Jones's uh, 
what's the name? Why well? Yeah, yeah. Well, like he's the meme. He's like laying in bed looking at pictures. Yes. Of Sean yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just like you do at Justin Herbert. That's right. Uh, which is fine. Which is fine. There's there's no judgment there. Um, so I'm sure Mike McCarthy is aware of this, and if he's like insecure about it, well, he better he better uh, come to terms with it pretty quickly because, you know. I, Dallas has been disappointing over the last two years during the Mike McCarthy era for a lot of reasons. I think they kind of get a pass in 2020 because of the DAC injury. Um, but they're offensively, they were very disappointing last season. I Especially think. down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, this time last year, we were sitting here talking about how the Cowboys should be the, one of the best offenses in the league. And it was going to be nonstop fireworks and, um, you know, clear favorite in the NFC East, all of those sorts of things. And then they just ended up, you know, a good regular season team that fa- flamed out in the playoffs. And... If they have a disappointing season again, and by disappointing, I mean losing in the wild card round to a Jimmy Garoppolo type team, um, I very much think that that could be it for Mike McCarthy. And it might even get odd that get that far. James Washington broke his foot this week. He's going to be out six to ten weeks. They don't have receiver depth. Yeah, They have Jalen Tolbert, who's a third-round rookie, who's going to be really their best option on the outside right now. That's it. I mean, it's CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Tolbert, and you know, we'll see what happens with the offensive line. I think they have a chance to be pretty good. But it, it's been a consistent reminder, I think, over the last week or so that this team just isn't as deep or as talented as it even was a year ago when they fell short of expectations. So can they navigate through this year where there's been a lot of roster turnover, the talent probably isn't as good, and you have little tiny things. Like Jaron Kurse got hurt also this week. I don't know how what his outlook is, but he tweaked something. You know, he's making a little bit more money. They've had to piece together the second edge rusher spot because Randy Gregory isn't there. I just think that there are so many questions about that team, and I don't think it takes even flopping or falling flat yeah. for him to lose his job. If they're 10-7 and seven and they lose in the first round of the playoffs or don't even make the playoffs at 9-8, and eight, it's over. Like, it's just over. Sean Payton or whoever is going to end up getting that job. So yeah, you've got, I think you've got a perfect interim head coach already in the building in Dan Quinn. Absolutely. If you, if you needed to, if you needed that jolt. And it does feel like kind of icky to be talking about guys getting fired or potentially getting fired here on August 2nd. Um, but he's the guy that just because of Jerry Jones and just because of the expectations there and the disappointments over the last two seasons, he's the guy who you have to be watching. I mean, I think there's other guys that you would maybe put higher on the hot lit or the hot seat matt rule Watch. is yeah, probably exactly. in that conversation and i think that you know, we it's almost not even worth talking about because he's so definitively number one on that list but i think that mike mccarthy has a just ton the dynamics of it I, to me are the mike mccarthy's part of it is the most interesting i totally agree as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with BetMGM this season we'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. To round this out, we're going to kind of pay homage to where we're sitting right now. I want to talk about a couple Broncos. For me, somebody on this list, you know, not as high profile as some of the other people we've talked about. Bradley Chubb. Yeah. Heading into the final year of his rookie deal, played seven games last year, didn't have a single sack, was clearly not right. I mean, that in- was ankle injury that just continued yeah. to linger from the summer into the season and played through it. And this now becomes a huge year. Uh, is he somebody that after being a top five pick can garner some real interest from either the Broncos or someone else when contract time comes. He's been dinged up for a really long time. And and I think that it almost takes us into a larger conversation about people like George Payton and the Broncos in general. Like they've made some big bets this offseason. This is the Broncos team. There's no more feeling out process with the roster and who they want to be. And I think that leaves a lot for him to lose. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, George Payton was a guy that I had on my list here because um, he has tremendous job security right now for a guy that's coming into a team that's about to have a new owner. I mean, the Broncos ownership, I think, uh, a week from today is officially going to be approved by the by the other NFL owners. Um, so that could make a lot of people nervous of like, oh, here comes a new owner. But George Payton has a ton of confidence in that building. And all indications that I've been given is that um, the Walton family, they're they're very invested in George Payton as well. He's but done a now, good job so far. Yeah, he's done a really good job. But he, um, it was a really hard thing that he was walking into, George Payton, walking into following John Elway, who for all of, you know, John Elway's issues with finding a quarterback, um, all of those struggles that he had, um, he was still John Elway. Yeah. Um, the specter of John Elway looms so large in the city. And, you know, just... Um, so you're driving around up and down I-25. You're seeing John Elway car dealerships. You know, he's on billboards. He's on local commercials here. Like, he still is, like, the biggest figure in Denver. Peyton Manning's creeping up there, and Russell Wilson is getting himself out there for sure. But, um, you know, George Payton walked in here a little over a year ago and just said, like, boldly and confidently was like, this is my plan. He made some kind of controversial moves, the Patrick Sertan 
draft pick was very controversial at the moment. I was certainly critical of it because of the quarterback ramifications at the time. Seems like it's an A-plus pick right now. I mean, he's very – I can't wait for you to watch him at, at camp. You're going to be out there the next couple practices. Oh, I'm so pumped to watch he's this He's so team. fun. To, I'm going to be out there for three days. I, I'm, I'm very, very excited to have an extended stay with a team here for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things – so I'm not doing a training camp tour this year, but one of my favorite things is when I do those, especially when you go to somewhere for a couple days, you can spend one day being like, I'm really going to focus on quarterbacks yep. today. I'm just going to follow the offense around. You can spend a day saying, I'm just going to watch the defensive backs. I watched the right guard for the Niners yesterday for the entire practice. Okay, well, that tracks. Yeah. That's you. He was a fourth round rookie <laughs> that I didn't know was starting. I was like, what's the deal with this guy? So that's what I did. We got to get you some help, Robert, but that's fine. Um, it, that's fair. But like, so today or tomorrow or whatever it is, you know, if you just bring your binoculars, train a couple sessions right on Patrick Sertan, like you will not be disappointed. Um, but, you know, but Peyton had made, you know, and then the Von Miller trade. That's to have kind of the guts to do that, to trade away the most popular player. I mean, um, you know, he's made these really, really bold moves and then the Russell Wilson moves. So, you know, I don't think he's a guy that like, you know, is in any sort of tenuous situation, but if this works, he vaults himself into that best GM in the league. Absolutely. He doesn't have a ton to lose, but he potentially has a lot to gain when it comes to his standing and the way that we talk about him relative to other GMs in the league. So I totally agree. I mean, I think that this team, again, they made a lot of big bets and they said, this is what we're going to try to do. This is the year we're pushing it into the middle and seeing what happens. And I think that leaves always leaves you with a lot to lose and a lot to gain. That's all I got. That's all we got. This was very fun. It was really good to see you. I really appreciate you letting me come sit at your house. Yes, you're, you're welcome back in Centennial, Colorado. Anytime on my porch with my child... And my dogs and construction trucks that are driving up it's and down. It's great to be outside, though. I don't mind it at all. All right. That's all we got. It's great to see you. Lena, you want to say bye to bye to everybody in the podcast? Bye. Do you have a Super Bowl pick? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? I think the Broncos. She's a, she's she's a, a homer. homer. <laughs> she's a homer. She already knows how to cater to the fans. All right, guys. That's all we got. Thank you so much to Lindsay. It was so good to see her. So good to sit down and have that chat. We will be back tomorrow. Excited to have a check-in from Broncos camp with our Broncos writer, Nick Cosmiter. Really looking forward to that. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I appreciate you guys did that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. I'm writing this week. To read that, you need an athletic subscription. Athletic.com slash football show. Now is the time to get one. I'm telling you, you cannot follow the league without a subscription to The Athletic. Our writers are plugged in and observing this stuff day to day in a way that no one else is. Highly encourage you guys to go out and do that. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.